welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm Ann Gordon here with my friend and chavruta, Yardena Azband, our daf of the day, Masachet Yevamot, daf kaf aleph, page 21. So in preparation, Yardena, we were talking about how this daf is very rich. It's a long daf. There's a lot going on. And it's a kind of thing that is very challenging to talk about. So we're going to pick out sp- specific uh, things and hope that that makes it a little bit you know that we can focus. We can focus ourselves and and help you focus as well. And knowing that we're leaving much on the daf undiscussed. Um, okay, the gemara here is the whole daf's focus really is about what we call shniot, the secondary forbidden relationships. And we talked about this at a previous time. And on this daf, we're going to get the list of what they are exactly, and that's going to be helpful. Before that, however, the gemara says Rav Yehuda says in discussing the secondary forbidden relationships, he says that this is This is a verse from um, from Kohelet, Ecclesiastes, right? That, and it's about Shlomo HaMelech, about King Solomon. And it says that he he weighed and he investigated and he established. And then it says um, many proverbs. Now, traditionally, this is understood to mean to be a reference to the book of Proverbs, right? Mishlei, which is also ascribed, as Kohelet is, ascribed to uh, King Solomon as as its author. Um, but in this case, instead of it being, Proverbs is a book of, of pithy statements about ethical living and, and how to be a better person and how to achieve wisdom and perhaps Yerat fear of God and, and living a Torah life. All of this is not how it's understood here. Uh, so the it said here that Ula says in the name of Rabbi Lazar that before Shlomo, before King Solomon came along, the Torah was like a basket that had no handles. And the idea, of course, here is a, that a basket that has no handles is uh, not as balanced and much harder to grasp a hold of as compared to a basket with handles. And the idea is then that Shlomo came along and he gave that basket handles, meaning by virtue of his interpretations and his explanations and indeed the Proverbs, although again, not per se, as far as I can tell, not per se referring to the book of Proverbs that we have today, um, that he understand, he, he helps people right understand and, and internalize or take a hold of the Torah to understand exactly what's going on. Now, what that means is tricky, right? Does that mean he established these shniot, these relationships, the secondary forbidden relationships? Did he establish them as an, um, did he establish them at all, right? Did he put them in place as a means of protecting the more stringent cases to, you know, as a, as a stringency, as a humra, whatever? Or was he simply able to, I don't know, bring their, their, value home to the people in a way that they had not had up until that point. I'm going to jump down further on Ahmed Aleph. We have the Breit that gives us the list of these secondary forbidden relationships. Again, we call them Shniot. The gem- ah, we, the Gemara calls them Shniot. Tanur Rabbanan, Mahim Shniot. What are the Shniot? What are these secondary forbidden relationships? Aim, Imo. So I'm going to give you a long list, which is exactly where we say these are where charts are your friend. And even if you don't chart it, right? The recognition I think here is that there are the the most obvious um, illicit sexual relations that are, I, some of these are also incestuous, right? Meaning the Torah's 
decision of what counts as as arayot is not exactly what we today would line up to be incest. I mean, there's a tremendous amount of overlap, but that's not, it's not its defined, it's not its um, deciding factor. So here we go. Aim Imo, the, his mother's mother. The aim Aviv and his mother's, the father, I'm sorry, and his father's mother. The Eshet Avi Aviv and the wife of the father of his father. The Eshet Avim Imo the wife of the father of his mother, meaning now we're talking about step relationships, right? That's that's fundamentally what's happening here. As opposed to being his direct grandparents, let's say, it's a step-grandparent, which is still, now it's a secondary prohibition, but is still, you know, not allowed. And the wife of the brother of the father on his, from from his mother's side, his maternal, his, his maternal, Half brother, I think, is that right? And likewise, the wife of the brother of the mother on the father's side. Meaning again, these are the these are the um, paternal and maternal aunts and uncles. But Kalat Beno, his son's wife, right? The daughter-in-law. But Kalat Bito, oh, I'm sorry, the the son's daughter-in-law. It's a grand. Daughter-in-law, right? Vakalat bito, and the daughter-in-law of the, his daughter. Umutar adam chamav and a person is permitted. A man is permitted to take his father-in-law's former wife, as long as she's not the mother of his wife, right? And likewise, the stepson's wife, as long as a stepson has either is is no longer in the picture, meaning he's died or he's divorced or whatever then those relationships are actually accepted, they're permitted, because that, I guess that dynamic was considered farther enough, enough distance had crept in that, you know, off the, off the cuff it might feel a little creepy, but it's not considered a prohibition as a secondary prohibited relationship. Um, but he is prohibited from marrying the daughter of the stepson, meaning if he has a stepson, he that's the daughter of that stepson is off limits. Meaning this is his grand grand stepson, grand stepdaughter. Pardon me. And one stepson can then in turn marry the stepfather's wife or the stepfather's daughter. There's no actual relationship there, right? Uh, because that's how steps work, right? Sometimes a step relationship is very tight, and sometimes it's really as far removed as it can be because nobody is actually related in, in those dynamics. Okay, so the list, I think, is, again, it can be a little head spinning, um, and you can make your charts and figure out who everybody is, you know, as related to each other type of thing, and where this would be, who's prohibited and who's not prohibited. Um, nobody's saying it's recommended, but fine. I want to now jump. I know you're Dana, you're going to talk about um, a good chunk that I'm skipping now. I want to go to the bottom of the daf, meaning the bottom of Amabet, where it says here, Shlachli Rev Masharshia, be Tunisai le Rev Papi. So Rev Masharshia from Tusnea, I'm sorry, I said the name of the place wrong, sent a message to Rev Papi, and he says, Ilam Dana Rabbeinu, let our let our teachers teach. Let our rabbis teach. He lists off these two cases, right? 
the wife of the brother of the father from the father's side, of the father's father's brother, and the sister of the father of the father. Okay. Mahu, meaning what is the case? And what does it mean, what is the case? Are these prohibited as secondary relationships, secondary forbidden relationships? And what's interesting to me here is that Rav Masharsha, who's not local, right? Meaning, I don't know where Tusnaya is. It's come up before. But he's not in the, he's, he's sending, he's, this is a mail order question, right? He's sending to find out what the status is or what would the prohibition be in this case. It's not something that's his fingertips. It's not something that he's already learned, you know, before, I, I don't know. It, it, it was not an automatic part of the curriculum, which I think does, you know, give strength to the idea that this was, you know, built into the system along the way, as opposed to something that was there. I mean, obviously, Shlomo HaMelech is, it was on the ground long before of Masharshev to Sneh, but it's um but it's still it's not it's not common parlance. And maybe it's not common parlance because the same way we have difficulty outlining and keeping everything straight, maybe that was the case then as well. But he's clearly asking what is you know, is there a, a prohibited uh, is there a prohibition in this particular relationship? And then Midlamata Ervalamala Nami Gazrub Bay. And then the question really is, you know, is this that this is from the same way that the next generation is going to be uh, an Arayot relationship and a, one of these prohibited relationships? So the, maybe the previous gen generation will also have a, a decree against them, you know, and as indeed we talk about a secondary relationship, Odilma ha it pleg darta. Or do we say the generations are separate and they don't really have bearing on each other? And of course, we, having already read that Brighta, which apparently Rav Masharshia didn't have easy access to, we know that the generational divide um, is exactly where we get these secondary prohibitions. We do not say, oh, no, it doesn't matter. You're a generation apart. Ha you know, have at. It's, it's not that it's not that prurient and it's not that simple. All right. So now that we, you know, went through what some of these relationships are um, and, you know, as you said, and it's not that simple, uh, I want to go to a passage that's on Amad Bet that I think fills some of this in a little bit more about what exactly is the issue with the Shniot. Um, but first, we're going to do a little who's who. Uh, and so we have this statement by Rav Chista. I'm a Rav Chista, and they're uh, going through, they're talking about the cases of daughter-in-laws. So Rav Kista says, I heard this from a great man, Umanu, right? And who was the great man? It was Rabbi Ami. Lo asru kala kala, where it says they prohibited a daughter-in-law only due to the daughter-in-law. Very cryptic statement. What does that mean? And, uh, you know, so Rav Kista basically, the idea is, is that he heard this when he was a child, the statement didn't understand what it means. And a Chaldean uh, astronomer, okay, that's what's interesting here, said to him, you will be a teacher. Um, um, amana, so, amana. so he says to himself, okay, so if what this astrologer means is that eventually I'll become a great man, right? Like I'm, I'm somebody who will be an orator, I'll teach in public, you know, then what? I'll be able to reason it out from my own knowledge. But if what he meant is that I've become a teacher of children, then I will ask one of these, you know, sages who comes to the synagogue, 
right, to help me understand. So there's just this nice little nugget here about Rav Chisa and how he viewed himself. So he was a child. He heard this statement of Ravami, didn't understand it. This astrologer at some point tells him in his life, oh, you're going to be this great teacher. And he said, okay, he figured out, like, this was sort of a puzzle he had as a kid. I, I certainly have memories as a child of, like, hearing something or learning something and recognizing, like, I probably won't understand it until I'm bigger, you know, until I'm older. And so we see this with Rav Chista, and he's basically saying, like, he had this thought as a kid, okay, if I grow up to be a great teacher, I'll figure it out myself. If what they meant by great teacher is that I'll be a teacher of children, so, you know, uh, the, the 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 sages, Chazal, love to come to meet the, you know, teachers of children. And so then I will just ask, um, I, I will ask one of them. So just a little bit of a who's who uh, about who Rav, Rav Chista is, right? So Rav Chista is a third generation Amora. He dies probably around 320 uh, CE. He died very old also. He was in his 90s probably when he died. Um, and he's a, a, a Kohen. Uh, he studies under Rav. Um, uh, but later on, he also studies under uh, Rav Huna. Um, and, um, he, um, and the thing to know is that he took over the Academy of Sura, right? We've talked about this, that there were sort of three major academies, Pupadita, uh, Naharda, and Sura. So he takes over Sura after Rav Huna uh, for about 10 years. Uh, sorry, he takes after Sura after the death of, of Rav Yehuda. So Rav then Rav Yehuda, and then comes Rav Chista. Um, it's, it's not clear exactly who he followed, if it was Rav Yehuda or Rav Huna, but the point is he was in charge of it for about, uh, for about 10 years. Um, and uh, so that's really what there is to know about him, is that he's a Kohen, he learns with Rav, Rav Huna is also one of his teachers, and he you know, takes over uh, for Sura, but again, exactly who it is after Rav Huna, Rav Yehuda, is what's important there. Um, and um, he passes away, there's actually nobody to take over Sura. And so Rabbah basically becomes the, the leader in Pupadita. So, uh, you know, just uh, just to throw around some more names. Okay. Um, but anyhow, so this is what he says about himself. Um, why he's consulting with astrologers, I don't know. I couldn't find a good commentary uh, exactly about. I think it also tells us something about, um, you know, Babylonian life. It's sort of you have to, uh, you know, sort of uh, tell him something about what he was going to be when he grew up and he believed it and there didn't seem to be an issue with that. So I think we also are seeing that astrology was live, alive and well and people did believe in it. So now they get back to Ravami's statement and he says the following, Lo asru kala bito elamishum kala bino, right? Where they said that basically they only prohibited a daughter's daughter-in-law because of the son's daughter-in-law. In other words, they didn't want there any confusion about the daughters-in-law. So in other words, they prohibited daughter's daughter-in-law, which seems to be that it actually initially was allowed. It wasn't considered a shniot because they didn't want anyone to get confused with the son's daughter-in-law, which would have been an issue. And I think this brings a piece up about this is that the issue of shniot seems to have been evolving, right? The fact that, first of all, they connected first with Shlomo HaMelech. It's not connected to the time when Moshe actually gets the Torah. And even here, we see the statement of Rav Ami, where it seems to be that this was something that was added on later. The list of Shniot evolved. It wasn't a, a, a set list that was just handed from generations to generations. Um, and I think the reason for that actually is what we see in the next uh, section here. 
So now we're going to go through different Chachamim are going to talk about basically their contemporary examples of families where the status of daughters of sons, daughters, sorry, daughter-in-laws of sons and daughter-in-laws of the daughters could be confused with each other. Right? He says, I'll explain to you so you can understand this. Right? So it's the case of the daughter-in-law in the house of Bartzite. So there were children, right, of sons. They lived there together. And maybe you could have gotten them confused. So the daughter-in-laws, just in general, that house, they became shneo to each other. Rav Papa Amar Kagon Kalate Debe Rav Papa Bar Abba. So Rav Papa says it's like the daughter-in-law of the house of Rav Papa Bar Abba. And then Rav Ashi Amar Kagon Kalate Debe Mari Bar Isi. Rav Ashi says that this was the daughter-in-law of the house of Mari Bar Isi. Now again, notice they're not saying if it's a son-daughter-in-law or a daughter-daughter-in-law. Is that these daughter-in-laws would live in the house and it wasn't clear, was it a son-daughter-in-law, daughter-daughter-in-law? So the fact to make sure there was no confusion because the son-daughter-in-law was the one that was initially an issue, they just said all daughter-in-laws were a problem. And so I think this teaches us something interesting, which is the issue of Shniot was very practical, right? Like we have the list of Arayos of the Ervas in the Torah itself. But I think what we saw throughout Yevamos is that people really married within families. And it's not just that they married within families. I think what this stuff is teaching us is People basically lived in family compounds. So you had a lot of exposure to all of these sort of like, you know, uh, other people in your family, right? The mother's mother, the father's mother, the daughter's, the daughter-in-law, somebody's daughter, somebody's son, somebody's uncle. All these people really live together. There's clearly a, a chain here that it seems to be there is a little bit more to do with the father's family than the mother's family. We see this here, the fact that the son's daughter-in-law was, you know, made a sore first before the daughter's daughter-in-law. And there's even a line later on, which mentions that, that you sort of, we don't worry about that relation because you really spend more time in the father's house. But I think these were super practical examples. People really lived together. They married within their family. And so I think what Shlomo recognized, this whole idea of making, you know, the basket with the handles is that things really did happen between people. And so in order to make sure that sort of the Orios didn't happen, they added this second layer of protection because people really did live with each other, had a lot of exposure to each other. And they wanted to make sure that, yes, people were going to sort of marry within families, but they needed to make sure that sort of a, a certain layer of not just what we would necessarily call, you know, modern day incest, but even beyond that extension uh, w- would not happen. And so I think we really see a lot of sort of how life actually worked. The fact that the Amurayim are able to bring sort of modern day, their contemporary examples uh, shows that this was actually a very, very relevant issue. People really just lived together and they needed to make sure that these sort of Shneo relationships didn't actually happen. There was an actual risk for this happening. Um, I think that this kind of backdrop is so fundamentally essential to understanding like the workings of Chazal, meaning besides the specifics of this stuff and the Yuvamad and so on, I feel like much of what you've just said, Yordina, I think is is light shedding, shall we say, on the on how it all comes to be. And um, so I'm going to thank you for that. 
And I, I really think that it's important. I think it's part of what we, why we care about giving historical context and historical backdrop and personality backdrop and so on. Yeah. And I, I just want to add one thing, you know, this is really not how we live. Unfortunately today, most of us live very far. I mean, at least Anne and I do, we don't live, you know, we, we don't live near me near live near a cousin. I live near a civil, but like, People don't live this way anymore. Um, and I would even say that's changed a few generations ago. Like both of my parents, at least, were from the same place. They both grew up in Rochester. And I do have memories growing up. We would go visit both sets of grandparents for Pesach. Both sides of my grand, you know, uh, three out of four of my grandparents were born in Rochester. And my other grandmother was born in Syracuse. So we would have all the first cousins, all my parents' first cousins, second cousins. It felt like that kind of thing. Everybody would be there, you know? Today, there's almost nobody left there anymore. It's very sad. So I, 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 I think this is actually a very modern change that we experience. And I think the other thing to keep in mind is, is that when Chazal lists all of these relationships, they're not doing it because they're sort of like, um, shall I say, like sort of immodest or have, you know, weird intentions about relationships and who can actually marry who. What we're seeing here is the protective piece really kick in because the fact was people did marry within their families. And so I sort of have, um, I have a different respect for what Chazal is trying to do here. Yibum is a strange mitzvah, people married within families. And so I think a lot of what Masechet Yavamos has been trying to do is to basically be like, there's one Arab that's going to be permitted under a very special set of circumstances. We're going to start off again by listing for you everything that is not allowed. And that's why Shio <laughs> becomes even more important here. Like, really think about what we've learned on the first 20 Dapim. It's a lot of what's actually not allowed. We have not really talked about what is allowed. Oh, yeah, that's for sure true. I mean, I think that we'll get there. I think also it goes back to the point that we're talking about, you know, a, a, a really iffy, you know, sketchy kind of permissibility to begin with, you know, because of Let's make sure that the dead brother has his name carried on and children through his own brother. Like, you know, as you said, you know, Chazal seem different members of Chazal anyway, seem to have their own hesitations about this. Well, that's our DAP discussion. Review us on all major podcasts. Thank you to Rabbi Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hadron website. Let us know what you thought about this DAP on our Talking Talmud Facebook page. And until tomorrow, go and learn.